Hello and welcome to episode 319 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and Happy New Year, everybody. It's a new year of Retro Encounter. We have a lot of exciting plans in store, or at least as exciting as an unprofessional podcast about video game RPGs can get. But this is our officially our first episode recorded in 2022. I'm going to accidentally write and say the incorrect year for at least another six weeks, but we'll see exactly how that goes for all of us. But who's joining me today for big episode 319? It is Peter Treisenberg. Hey, everybody. And Audra Bowling. Howdy. And Wes Iliff. Hi there, folks. Wes, Audra, Peter. Uh, we have done a couple episodes like this before. Um, we're going to talk about the PlayStation 2 today, and in doing so in uh, that laziest form of online article, a top 10 list. Um, uh, top 10 lists are sort of intellectually lazy, but luckily for you, I'm a lazy intellectual. So uh, <laughs> we decided to uh, do another one of these. A couple years ago, we did a top 10 Super Nintendo games list and our uh, Super Nintendo RPGs list. And Peter, you joined me for that one. Yeah, I sure did. And then a couple years after that, we did a top 10 PlayStation 1 RPGs list, and Audra, you joined me for that. That I did. And now we're doing the PlayStation 2. These are, uh, not ironically, the top three consoles that we picked in our um, best consoles for RPGs tournament a year and a half ago or so. Um, Maybe it was longer ago than that. I've lost the concept of time over the past 18 months. Before we recorded, we each wrote an individual top 10 list of PlayStation 2 RPGs, and uh, there was no rules to the list other than it had to be an RPG or visual novel narrative game for the PlayStation 2 that's covered by RPGFan.com at least a little bit. So we came up with individual ranked lists of 10 and then used a, a point scoring system that is uh, that all of us know the rules for and have seen the voting results of, so there's no chicanery behind the scenes. But we, uh, by combining our lists and scoring, we came up with a list of 10 uh, RPGs um, in, a, in a ranked order that are, is going, that are going to be Retro Encounters' official top 10 PlayStation 2 RPGs. And I, uh, I don't think this list is necessarily controversial. I, there were some uh, expected results and some surprises. I personally was a little surprised at... Uh, the game that finished number one and the game that finished number 10 the most. But we will get to those very soon. This, uh, this uh, you know, I said it's a top 10 list, but really that's a lie. This is a top 14 list. Um, each of us chose one honorable mention from our individual lists that are not in the top 10. So we're going to discuss uh, those four honorable mentions a little bit first before we get to the meat of the episode. So uh, who wants to start with their game that is in the official four-way tie for 11th? I can start with that. Um so uh, my honorable mention for this episode is going to be Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, um, which is one of the most underrated games on the PS2 and the black sheep of the Breath of Fire franchise, at least until they made a crappy mobile game out of it. Um, Dragon Quarter is very different from other Breath of Fire games. It eschews the high fantasy turn-based combat um, kind of fairy tale aesthetic of the first four games and instead goes for a dark grungy steampunk setting um, where its characters are trapped underground in a society that um, basically has separated them into castes um, and forces people of the lower caste to live further below ground where there's less clean air. And and uh, the the gameplay um, structure of Breath of Fire 4 is also, I'm sorry, Breath of Fire 5 is a little bit 
unconventional, kind of like a roguelike, correct? Yeah, very much so. So you can, if you can technically beat the game in one setting, if you're really, really um, persistent, but the game encourages you to reset your progress and start over carrying over some experience um, as you do. And your reward for doing so is unlocking more cutscenes that also um, shed more light on the world. Um, it's a very short game, even with that system. You can probably still beat it in about maybe a dozen to 20 hours at most. But um, that replay value and that like more difficult kind of punishing uh, difficulty setting really makes it stand apart from other RPGs from its era. Um, it's, it's, it's a, and it's also got a really killer soundtrack by... Um, Sakamoto, uh, the same composer who did uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Excellent. All right. So that was Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, also known as Breath of Fire 5. It's not in our top 10, but it uh, it made Peter's list and we're giving it its props now. So, uh, Wes, what is your choice for an honorable mention for this episode? This was a pretty easy one for me because uh, the heart wants what the heart wants and the heart wants Xenosaga episode one. Uh, <laughs> Tyler it is... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I need people to have my back on this because uh, there's so many amazing things about it. Um, you could talk about uh, the music, which is uh, composed by Yasunori Mitsuda, um, everyone's favorite, um, and performed by the London Philharmonic, which at the time was, you know, utterly groundbreaking. You can talk about the, the story that kind of laid the philosophical underpinnings that would, you know, go on and proceed into like the Xenoblade Chronicles games um, that are still popular today. Uh, you could talk about, you know, mech designs that that are absolutely gorgeous and got even better as the series went on, um, or the battle system that took some of the the best parts of Xenogears and added layers on top of it with these, you know, super elaborate animations. Um, heck, you could talk about the cosmos of it all. Um, simply the best RPG character of all time. It's no no problem, no no contention. I know it's just cosmos, um, but ultimately the reason that it makes it is because of Xenocard, the greatest trading card mini game in an RPG ever. Um, so much better than anything Final Fantasy put up, and never got the love it deserves. And I will bang this drum until I'm old and gray. Eat your heart out, Triple Triad. Um, now I, <laughs> I I've only played a little bit of Xenosaga. I uh, I was I tried to find a copy of Xenosaga three for many years and uh, and have not been successful in doing so but the, the big complaint i heard about it was that it's it, the cutscenes were just too abundant and too long do, do you think that's fair or is is it good enough to uh, ascend that i i think that it's that it's worth it um they when you pre could pre-order xenosaga 2 they actually i had as a bonus uh, DVD of all the cutscenes from Xenosaga 1, and it's like a three-hour movie, essentially, <laughs> um, which I've watched multiple times because I'm just that person. Um, but I, I think it, despite the length of that, it, it plays well. I mean, people um, will say the same thing about a lot of the Metal Gear games, and it depends on how you feel about it. I think, you know, at least all the cutscenes are rendered interestingly. It's it's You're not getting anything crazy like codecs that are dropped in there. Um and they kind of changed things up as the series went on. Uh, the third episode might even be, you know, better gameplay wise, but uh, it doesn't have Xeno cards, so uh, it doesn't get the nod. Always down for a good card game. Exactly. All right. So that was Xenosaga episode one, our second honorable mention. Audra, what is your honorable mention for our top 10 PlayStation 2 RPGs list? Mine is actually, it's two games, um, Working Designs released a collection called Girlanzer Generations, which is Girlanzer 2 and Girlanzer 3. And they're just fantastic SRPGs that 
kind of go under the radar, but they're really good and they're quite choice heavy. You can affect endings and everything based on your decisions in the game, and they're just so much fun and the artwork's colorful and gorgeous character designs. Absolutely. That's about it. <laughs> well, all right. Um, now the ground laser series continued a little bit after two and three, but not all of them have made it uh, worldwide. That's cor- Is that right? Yes. Um, Grillanzer six did not get released over here and neither did Grillanzer one, which is kind of a shame because Grillanzer two is sort of a, direct side story to it is there a little bit lost trying to play uh two without any context from one a little bit not so much they had a new main character and everything in two so it's you just feel like you're missing a little point when some of the characters show up from one all right well i was able to play suikoden in two without playing suikoden in one and still enjoyed that so i i know it's not necessarily there's, there's not never necessarily a need to play every single game in order, although I know some people are of the mindset that uh, that they have to do that. Yeah, technically, Grillanzer 3 is a prequel to both 1 and 2, so, but you play it in the third order, so <laughs> it's interesting. Yep, sounds like video games to me. But uh, I think we will talk a little bit more about strategy RPGs and Suikoden games when we get to the proper list, but before that happens, I'm going to uh, submit my honorable mention to our official list of the best PlayStation 2 RPGs. And uh, this is probably not a surprise coming from me. I uh, am nominating Disgaea Hour of Darkness. It is uh, the first Nipponichi game that, uh, for the PlayStation 2 that was released worldwide. Nipponichi had a couple niche games before then, like Rhapsody of Musical Adventure and Lapusel Tactics, which was, which was made before Disgaea but uh, released worldwide after Disgaea because of the uh, because Disgaea was a minor success. It is a uh, not it is a strategy RPG, but not in the same way Growlins Generations is. There are a few different endings, but they're not really choice based. They're more um, based on how you interpreted some of the weirder gameplay parts of Disgaea. This is not a Final Fantasy Tactics or a Tactics Ogre or a Fire Emblem. That is a uh, you know an epic storyline that's a that's political and dramatic. It is about a demon boy who uh, wakes up kind of cranky with his dad missing, so he decides to beat up all of the other demon lords around him and take over his uh, missing father's kingdom. Uh, It it is anime weirdness and exploitative gameplay. You can level up to 9,999. You can jump into weapons and level them up. Uh, A major gameplay mechanic is throwing your own units around and and making giant stacks of of your characters. It's for an audience that's played a bunch of strategy RPGs and wants to get weird with them and does so with a really funny and sometimes a surprisingly poignant storytelling. I really, really love the first couple Disgaea games, and I think Disgaea 1 endures as a uh, as a, as a a really funny and subversive game and fun strategy RPG. But uh, it did not get enough votes from the panel to make the top 10, so I'm giving it its props now. Do we have any other Disgaea players in the house? I mostly love the uh, the intro they put in the American version. My friend was a big Disgaea player, so he played it all the time, and I got to hear the, the Tsunami Bomb song that they, <laughs> they threw in, uh, the Western release. Uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, the anime intros became more standard for the worldwide versions of the later games. I, I actually think the, the Disgaea 2 intro is my favorite of the set. It's anime silliness and RPG mechanical silliness. And if you go in there with the right attitude, Disgaea is a great game that I've been trying to pitch for Retro Encounter for five years now. 
uh, without any success, as you can tell. Like <laughs> your time some, will come. At some point, you're just going to have to make an executive decision on that one, dude. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I usually try to make uh, uh, the games we play for game journals in Retro Encounter mostly democratic. Like, I'll ask around what pe- games people are interested in. I'll have an internal poll. I'll always stick with what wins the polls. But uh, yeah, I, despite me sneaking Disgaea onto lists and uh, and 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 asking around about it, it, it's never made it. But maybe 2022 is the year. But uh, it is not the year for Disgaea Hour of Darkness, uh, to, which is now available as Disgaea Complete and uh, Disgaea DS. And then there's like there, it's been remade like five times. Um, it, it, now there's a lot of ways to play Disgaea, but we're only talking about the PS2 ways to play these RPGs. So congratulations to Growlands Regenerations, Xenosaga Episode 1, Breath of Fire 5, Dragon Quarter, and Disgaea Hour of Darkness, our four honorable mentions. But now let's get to the list proper. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary friends, I was most surprised by the game that finished 10th on this list. If you would... If you would uh, like challenged me to name the games that would finish in the top 10, I would probably have guessed all of them except for this one that finished 10th. And I'm worried I'm going to say it wrong if I am prompted to now. So Wes, can you please tell me the game that is (laughs) the number 10 spot on our retro encounters, top 10 PlayStation two games. I am so proud of Peter and I for making space for dot hack GU volume one rebirth represent okay Okay. now my my understanding is there are somewhere between seven and ten dot hack games for the playstation 2 um that i also had a popular there are seven seven in america yeah my, my, my guess would have been seven or eight um and i know it had a popular anime series and this is the first game of the second dot hack saga indeed correct Okay, so uh, Wes and Peter, illuminate me. The Dot Hack series is this interesting multimedia project where you've got you know novels and anime and manga and games all working together to build up this game world, but each individual project still kind of tells its own story. Um, and the Dot Hack GU games are no different, um, but they get interesting on a meta level. Um, I mean, for one thing, they just play way better than the first games. The first games are, are pretty clunky. Um, I absolutely love them. A lot of people absolutely love them, but it's hard to deny that a game that's supposed to be an MMO that involves opening the menu that pauses the game every few seconds is a little bit rough. Um, they definitely made some differences, some changes to, to make things a little bit more brisk, a little bit more more fast-paced. Um, but also they they kept that whole big meta world out there. So one of the big compelling parts of the Dot .hack series is that you have yourself as a human and the player, you know, the character in the game. So you have this desktop within the game where you can check your emails, check the news, see how events within the game are affecting the rest of the world, um, as well as actually going into the game and just playing an action RPG. Um, and GU brings so many of them to a head. There are so many characters from old games and old properties that come back without you ever knowing, unless you're really attentive to like, oh, this is the same player behind, you know, Wise Man from the original series, um, which makes it an absolute delight if you like really digging in um, and and just making your life dedicated to studying a game and <laughs> how all the pieces connect. What's um what's handy too is that the um. The GU trilogy was recently re-released as an HD collection called Dot Hack GU Last Recode, which includes all of the um, the three main entries on PS2 and a brand new epilogue chapter, Volume Four. Um, and what's also nice about them is that they included some of the extra contents that 
recaps the first four Dot Hack games, the original quadrilogy that released in the early 2000s, um, which does help providing a little bit of extra context for the plot of GU. Not strictly speaking necessary, I think GU stands pretty well on its own as kind of a shonen anime um, type of storyline. There's a lot of familiar um, tropes and a lot of familiar actors from anime at that period. You know, Yuri Lowenthal's there and um, so on and so forth. Um, Not the last time Yuri Lowenthal will appear on this on this list either. <laughs> but um, but also they have having that extra content in there really does help to bolster the experience. Um, in general, what I think is so cool about Dot Hack is that aside from you're getting a pretty fun action RPG with a novel premise and um, good music, like the music the music in this series is just amazing. Um, but it was also kind of the precursor to episodic gaming in a way that we haven't really seen. Um, all that often at the time it was pretty groundbreaking i think to be releasing we're basically releasing one long rpg in multiple installments um and you kind of tune in next time for what's going to happen in volume two and volume three and it carries over your character's stats and whether or not you've completed certain quests and things like that um it's real it's really fun and really ahead of its time in a lot of ways yeah, I mean, I, I don't know a ton about Dot Hack, only that it just seemed like there was a thousand of them in the game stores uh, in the late 2000s when I was uh, <laughs> looking into them. And uh, I know that is, uh, there is, it's it's about a group of people playing a massively multiplayer online RPG, and uh, there there are segments in the real world and segments in the game world that are equally important. But, yeah. uh, but w- would you say that this is the, like, if you wanted to, dip your toe into dot hack that uh last recode remakes uh, or set of remakes that you mentioned peter would be the would be the way to go oh absolutely um yeah it's easily the most accessible way to play these games especially considering that copies of the original quadrility the original four games on ps2 are going to set you back quite a lot especially volume four volume four i i don't think i've seen for cheaper than 200 dollars in a long time Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, people don't want to let that one go. Um, I think it's coming to Switch, too. The last recode is, yes. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, that's coming out. I think it's coming out. If it's not out by the time this episode is up, it'll be out very soon. All right. Well, thank you so much, Wes and Peter, for the dot .hack uh, information dump, which I actually needed a little bit because I, I have not played in a single second of these games and watched probably fewer than five episodes of it on Toonami decades ago, <laughs> but uh, but Dot uh, Hack Gu Volume One finished around the middle uh, of both Wes and Peter's individual top ten lists, and that was enough uh, points in our scoring system to have it land exactly tenth. But uh, the game that landed ninth had a much different strategy for uh, getting there. It finished. It was only on one person's list. But it was number one overall, which gave it a whole mess of points, even though it only had support from a quarter of the panel. So, Audra, please take this opportunity to tell all of us about Suikoden 5. Suikoden 5 is just a really good game, especially if you're um, familiar with the Suikoden mythos. It's a kind of a prequel to some of the previous games that came coming out, except for Suikoden 4, because I was... 100 years or so in the future in the past sorry but um it's about the legacy of the sun rune and the queendom of felina you are the son of the queen 
so you're not going to be in power, but your little sister is, and there's a coup that happens, and you end up escaping, but your sister is still being held prisoner, and you have to form an army to help save her and save the kingdom and reclaim the Sunrune, which is a devastating force of power in that world. It's just, it's really good. Just a lot of political machinations and strategy and just very good. (laughs) It's a real return to how the games were before, you know, Suikoden 1 and Suikoden 2. Five feels like a direct continuation of it, where three and four really felt like they were experimenting. Yeah. Which, which is a little weird, because uh, Murayama was not involved in five. It, it was other old Suikoden staff after yes. he left Konami. But 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 it, it seems like that the right attitude and spirit went into the, into making that game, because Suikoden 1 and 2 are beloved. Like, and, I, and I know that Suikoden 5 is, is maybe because it's a, a little bit more of an uncommon game and came a bit later, is definitely beloved but maybe isn't quite as part of the, uh, you, you know, the, the, the canon of JRPGs everyone's played like the first two are. But I know that Zach and Leona and others on RPG fan staff really hold Suikoden 5 in high regard. Both, both of them, we did two episodes on Suikoden 5 a couple of years ago, and uh, it was, uh, and I know they, get, they were very enthused to talk about it then. Um, but uh, I, like, I love Suikoden 2, and I really liked Suikoden 3 when I played it uh, for Retro Encounter last year. Uh, do, do you think Suikoden 5 like, stacks up to 2? Is it a pinnacle, or is it just around there? I'd say it's actually a pinnacle. It's a little slow to start, comparatively. Like, Suikoden 2 kind of throws you in right away. And yeah, everything, whereas yeah, they are, world in, build. You are in a, a battle and about and and in very real danger of getting murdered in the first moment of Suikoden 2. Yeah. <laughs> whereas Suikoden 5 takes a little longer. They set up the story about the Sun Rune and your position within the royal court and everything. But it, I think the payoff is very, it's well done. And it's very on par with probably Suikoden 2. At least on Paris so we could at three. If not, maybe it was slightly better. Which I love so we could in three, but <laughs> three actually made my list and it was a toss up whether it was three or five, because five is very, very excellent. Um it was it's that slow start that like had me second guessing myself, but anyone who's interested in the series, like get through those two hours that might be a little bit like uh choppy waters, and yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And but um, unlike Dot uh, Hack GU, it is a little hard to get a copy of Suikoden Five. It's, it's really only on the PlayStation Two. And when we were uh, uh, talking about recording it, uh, episodes on it, I, I almost tried to get on them. And a listener even offered to mail me his copy of Suikoden Five to do so. But but I but I ultimately declined. And it, it's a, this is one of the rarer games that we're going to be talking about here, at, at least in, in the North American market. Yeah, it is a collector's item, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I hoard my collection of it. <laughs> so we can entitle just because it's... <laughs> yeah. Right, so that was Suikoden in 5. It uh, made our list because it is Audra's favorite PlayStation 2 RPG. Yay! <laughs> but uh, it, it was only enough for it to land ninth. But what landed 8th, do you say? 
It is a game that appeared on two people's lists, uh, around the middle of Wes's list and near the top of mine. This is the game that finished third on my list of favorite PlayStation 2 RPGs, so I'm going to kick off the discussion of it, if you don't mind me doing so, Wes. By all means. Now, this is our uh, this is our second ping of the Yuri Lowenthal watch, because he voices the main character of Tales of the Abyss, the... Uh, I believe it's the sixth Tales game, if my math is right. Is it this? No, no, Destiny 2 was first. So, okay, either sixth or seventh Tales of RPG, 2005 for the PlayStation 2. Um, uh, The Tales of series started in the mid-90s with Tales of Fantasia, but Tales of the Abyss is one of the best Tales of video games. Um, We did two episodes on Retro Encounter on it a couple of years ago. And it, you start out as sort of a bratty, um, a, a bratty son of a noble family who is, uh, who, who is being tutored and trained to eventually be, uh, you know, the, the nobility of his kingdom. He's a bit of a jerk. He pushes people away that try to befriend him or help him, even though he's got uh, a, a tr- truly some very smart and supportive people around him. But uh, he, without going too, into too deep spoilers... Um, things go very, very badly, and uh, the main character, Luke, is forced to undergo uh, some major personal growth and character changes in order to, you know, like, have any respect at all from among his peers. And the what happens after that is a somewhat political war story that devolves into, a, like, world apocalypse-shaping stakes that has a really, really solid version of the uh, Tales of Action Battle system. It's it's similar to what you'd get to do in Tales of Symphonia, but they add more options like free running and e- and uh, and easier over-limit skills and, com- and combination skills where one of your characters can sing a song to summon an elemental rune and a character doing a skill inside the rune circle turns it into an elemental skill. A lot of real weird, fun um uh battle machinations like that although i think for most of those elemental combination skills i would i would like do it twice and then forget about it the rest of the game <laughs> um but it, it, it's a really solid action rpg from start to finish the storyline's great luke starts out as a hateable brat and ends up being a fairly respectable main character by the end and that's and that's uh and that's really interesting to see to have like a character be deliberately unpleasant and the main character of that but i uh it's probably in my top three tales of games and it's definitely in my top three playstation 2 rpgs because it finished exactly third on my list so uh wes what was your tales of the abyss experience like? oh i i adore tales of the abyss is you know top two tales games for me it's it's that and vespi like right next to each other um tales of vesperia for those of you that aren't in my brain and doing weird things with words um well i figured i figured you out i mean <laughs> Vesper- vesperia is probably my, fa- my favorite overall but let's stick yeah. to the playstation 2 for now absolutely um uh, abyss is is wonderful i mean that character growth is maybe what what got me the most into it um that and a, a very very good intro uh song which is a big thing for me but that bump um, of chicken song is dope. It is. It is. I, I, I think this is an above average soundtrack for Tales of Games. I, I even uh, talked about it on a recent uh, Rhythm Encounter episode. But the, the opening sound, uh, the anime song, is iconic for Abyss. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's why, like, all those reasons are why. Um, last year, when I wrote uh, uh, the Tales Primer for the site, um, I broke those into generations, and for this generation, I took Abyss over Symphonia because I think it's just so much stronger in its in its story in a lot of ways um but it's also just it's it's kind of a beautiful cast um that 
when Luke fails in major ways, that cast has to figure out how to deal with him. Some of them forgive him. Some of them take a long time uh, to get around all of his failings and his mistakes. And just having that main character that everyone hates for a while and watching him evolve is just, oh, I could do that for every single video game I play and I would be ecstatic. They do one of my favorite silly things in, in video games and, and also things like anime and tokusatsu where you have six main characters, right? There's also uh, a, a group of six enemies, each one, each of each of whom corresponds to one of the main characters in, in a certain way. Oh, I love so there's it. Like, there's like like six squaring off against another six. And I, I, I love stuff like that every time, always. And those villains, like a lot of them are really interesting and entertaining to watch. They run the gamut from scary to just ridiculous in, in a good way for a long it's a long rpg you need something to kind of change things up over time yeah and, and the stuff with uh with, with what happens between largo and one of the main characters is like is like 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 what the hell get get this weird emotional sentimentality out of my anime rpg what's going on here <laughs> uh, it's like it's like this tales game wants to make you cry or something yeah yeah, this is a game with a, a bunch of great characters you care about these characters you watch them grow and also the action battle system is pretty cool you could do a lot worse than Tales of the Abyss. Again, I it's my second or third favorite uh, Tales of game. I need I need to work out my feelings with Arise and give it perspective before I can say it's 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 top two. But uh, it, it comes very recommended. And uh, unlike Suikoden in Five, it's 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 a little bit easier to find than some of the rarer PlayStation Two games. I don't think copies get that expensive. And it had a 3DS remake several years ago that you can also find floating around. Um, I, I played it. I played it twice once on each system so that that's exactly how it worked out for me once in the 2000s once in the 2010s and uh but it, no matter how you manage to play it uh tales of the abyss is really strong and worth worth noting um i'm a big advocate for the tale series as a multiplayer game and those those elemental fields you talk about um oh yeah that's so much more in multiplayer and that's it's gotta really be entertaining. Way e yeah that's true that's got to be way easier in multiplayer i played tales of the abyss mostly single player un unlike how i played uh, uh symphonia and vesperia in uh, uh mostly multiplayer Th that does make sense if you can coordinate yeah. it because because like getting um uh getting your mage characters to set up your phonon field exactly for you the melee character with tr like telling ai to do it that way not always easy no <laughs> super not but I think uh, it is uh, the end of us discussing Tales of the Abyss. It, again, it finished uh, sixth on West's list and my and third on my list, which is enough for it to finish eighth. Um, the game that finishes seventh in our Retro Encounter Top 10 PlayStation 2 RPGs um, was also only two people's list lists, but uh, did considerably better in the rankings than Tales of the Abyss. And Peter... I think you need to kick off your um, our discussion on your favorite PlayStation 2 RPG, Kingdom Hearts 2. Yes. So uh, <laughs> let's... It, we All I know about Kingdom Hearts is that it is light and not darkness. So please elaborate. <laughs> um, well, King, yeah, this is true. Kingdom Hearts is light, but not darkness. But Kingdom Hearts 2 is probably where they start to get um, uh, a little more dark. I think Kingdom Hearts 2 is... Um, really everything a video game sequel should be. I have a lot of fondness for the original, but Kingdom Hearts 2 takes the concept of we're going to combine a Squaresoft RPG with, or Square Enix RPG with um, the properties of Walt Disney and just really ramps everything up to 11. You've got an excellent um, assortment of new Disney worlds, um, ranging from animated classics like Milan, 
to Hercules to um, live action movies like Tron and Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, the combat has been, well, it's the same framework of we're taking an action RPG battle system and sort of using a turn, a, a command menu. Um, everything about it has been, all the kinks have been smoothed out. Kingdom Hearts 2's combat is still held in high regard by the, the fan base as the high point of the series. Um, even though later games in the series would add more mechanics and um, more gimmicks onto it, the core combat in Kingdom Hearts 2 is still strong, that it's still, again, widely regarded as just, just high points. Um, Sora has multiple transformations he can do in battle that um, give him a lot of freedom and um, different options in combat. Um and, um, uh, uh, sorry, give me a second here. And, um, the story of Kingdom Hearts 2 also just really, um, is where things start to get a lot more interesting with fan favorite characters like Roxas and the different Organization 13 members and resolving plot threads and setting up new mysteries that would reverberate throughout the other games in the series. This is really the game, I think, where Kingdom Hearts becomes Kingdom Hearts as we know it. Um, and it's easily probably my favorite PS2 RPG. Now, uh, as you, the panelists, and probably many of the listeners know, I have played Kingdom Hearts 1, but that is the end of my Kingdom Hearts experience. And I was aware that Kingdom Hearts 2 is probably the most popular game in the series. And every, and uh, all of the hearsay I've heard says that it is a, a much better game and, uh, and I should um, get off my prejudices and play it. Um, Wes, Kingdom Hearts 2 also finished on your list. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? It's, I, I agree on, on the concept that it is just an amazing sequel to the original game. Um, which is something that might actually be in your uh, in your credit there, Mike, is that um, all of the little fiddly gameplay bits, because uh, the first Kingdom Hearts, while I still love that, is pretty clunky. Um, Kingdom Hearts 2 is so much less so. Yes, that nonsense that the series is famous for, absolutely still in play. Um, the, the story goes off the rails and you know requires um, extracurricular reading in order to fully grasp. Um, but that doesn't make the ride any less fun. It doesn't make the melodrama any any less effective. Um, and frankly, it just looks looks and feels really good and very cool to play. Your combos are like wild and and over the top. Um, your character flies around the screen just by like the smallest inputs. Um, it's it's like satisfying that little node in the back of your brain that just wants the shinies, while simultaneously having some pretty dense. RPG systems and interesting subquests that have real rewards that pay off. I was just going to say, like, the combat in this game is, it's one of those things where it's, like, easy to learn, difficult to master. Getting through the normal game, you're not going to have any any difficulty at all, I don't think. In fact, a common criticism when the base game first launched was that it was too easy. Um, But the final mix version, which is the version that has been repackaged and re-released in all of the subsequent editions... That version adds a whole bunch of harder secret bosses that really test your reflexes and push that combat system to its limits. It is really rewarding um, rising to those challenges. 
Uh, and that version final mix, uh, has been repackaged multiple times. I, uh, I somehow own three copies of kingdom hearts two. <laughs> uh, I, I have an original PlayStation two version that I got fairly cheap. Then I got the PlayStation three kingdom hearts collection, which is how I played kingdom hearts one for the podcast, uh, 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 a few years ago. So I have it there. And then it had multiple versions on, uh, on on PlayStation Four and uh, and more modern consoles, uh, I think one called the Story So Far that had a bunch of Kingdom Hearts games on it, including two, and the sort of complete Story Edition, which is that version plus Kingdom Hearts Three plus probably some other things that I just do I'm not aware of. So there are a lot of ways to play Kingdom Hearts Two. It is one of the most available games on our list. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, but uh, Audra, uh, we haven't heard much from you. Um, are are uh, I, I? I didn't ask Peter about uh, Tales of the Abyss because I know he hasn't played it. But um, uh, um, Audra, right. have you? It's all good. Have you played any Kingdom Hearts two? Yes, I finished um, Kingdom Hearts two on the PlayStation two. Actually, when it first came out, I liked it. It was it was a fun action RPG. Maybe not the best one I've played, but. I mean, the storyline. I kind of made fun of the storyline a lot when I was playing it. But... Oh, I've I've made hey, the fun fair. of the storyline a lot for. Let me check my math here. Uh, Eighteen every, years, literally, around. literally every single time I'm on the podcast. <laughs> but it's fun. I mean, I like, I especially like seeing the Tron world and Mulan and the Pirates world is surprisingly very good from a design standpoint because. You have to fight um, the pirate enemies when they're in the little patches of moonlight. Otherwise, they're invincible. Um, I like. I kind of like that. It's it's fun. It's a nice in- in- implementation of the plot of the movie with the mechanics of the game. Yeah. But Audra, if you're interested in a great PlayStation Two action RPG, might I suggest Tales of the Abyss? Ooh. I did see the anime for that, but I need to actually play the game. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> but uh, all right, uh, maybe you need to play Tales of the Abyss. Maybe I need to play Kingdom Hearts Two. Uh, I I think I will make an attempt at Kingdom Hearts Two this year. I, I'm I'm saying on the podcast, so I ha- I have to hold true to it now. Uh, will Will it be with an episode of Retro Encounter? Maybe if there we'll, is, we'll I'll see. be there. <laughs> if if other panelists are interested, it might be a future episode of Retro Encounter. But I cannot confirm or deny that right now. All I can tell you is that I am in the vaguest sense interested in trying Kingdom Hearts 2. So that we, I, but I am not close to approaching that bridge yet, but when the time comes, I shall attempt to cross that bridge. But uh, let's avoid bridges about Kingdom Hearts 2 and into uh, and talk about some bridges into uh, an, 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 an island community that I know very, very well. Uh, the game that is finishing sixth on our list of Retro Encounters top 10 PlayStation 2 RPGs is... Uh, Tatsumi Port Islands Persona 3. Persona 3 uh, finished in the top five for both myself and Peter, but uh, d- didn't fail to appear on both Wes and Audra's list. And then that's that's been a trend for these first several. It, like a game will show up on two people's lists, but then but doesn't have support from the whole panel to, to crack the top five. I played P3P. That counts. There's, it, okay, I wasn't sure if it counted since I hadn't played the PS2 version. Um, the, the the PSP version of Persona Three navigates a little bit differently. In Persona, in uh, you know how in Persona Three P's dungeons, you're navigating uh, Tartarus, 
you know, like like walking around uh, with with, uh, with characters visible. Like like per, the PS2 version, the entire game is like that. You're uh, ah. you're just navigating around in person instead of in visual novel menus. But uh, but the piece the PS2 version of Persona 3 also has a lot of clunkiness to it. Like you can't change your and your allies' equipment unless you're in a dungeon and you have to sort of talk to them and, and ask them to change it. It's a, it's there there's they hadn't totally figured out the Persona formula yet with the PlayStation 2 Persona 3. There was definitely a little bit of the older Shin Megami Tensei games in there as well, especially with um I mean this is something the series still has where like if the main character dies it's game over, doesn't matter how many other party members you have. But in Persona 5, now that it's a a, a JRPG worldwide mega hit, there are a bunch of ways you can circumvent uh the main character dying thing. Like your your party members through confidants or social links can take a killing blow for you and, and th- things like that. But so so Persona 3 does not have nearly the number of refinements that Persona 4 or uh or persona 5 has but it is a really dark weird cool story that did not feel like anything else on the playstation 2 at the time i i think i think the the story tone of it is is meaningfully different from atlas's other other uh other output like uh you know like 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 shin megami tensei 3 nocturne or digital double saga but uh, sort of combining the uh, student just living his everyday student life during the daytime and then going out at night to hunt demons with a special demon hunting club of his of his high school. I, I know it's the specialized uh, execution squad, but um, it, like the, the vibe of that and uh, living through a, a Japanese student's calendar, almost like a slice of life anime. And uh, and experiencing going to school and meeting your friends and uh, and seeing all the weird people that live in this in this uh, in this port town is it, it it's kind of a vibe and Atlas has been refining and recapturing and evolving that vibe through the whole Persona series but this was the game that kicked it off to international uh, to international acclaim I think or I, I hardly think I mean I'm I'm positive in fact. It really is. It really is a unique vibe that hasn't really been captured in any other RPG series successfully. Um, and but I think Persona Three, even compared to Personas Four and Five, really stands apart um, and has having a unique vibe and atmosphere of its own. I mean, there's a reason that um, the Persona Three main character has been my avatar on the site for many years is because I just really, really connect with this story. Um, Persona 3 at its core is really, it, 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 while it does introduce that sort of slice of life anime, um, uh, combining the school life with the dungeon crawling that the series is known for, it also has just this much darker undertone to the whole thing because these characters are going to be confronting their own mortality over the course of the story. Um, Really, all of the game's core themes can be summed up in the Latin phrase that keeps coming up throughout the story. It's memento mori, remember you will die. Every single one of these characters is at some point going to be faced with the knowledge that their existence on this earth is finite. Um, And that's something I just, I've never seen those themes explored in such a thoroughly compelling way than in Persona 3. Uh, and I mean, Persona Three also, like the other Persona games that came before and after, uh, uses the uh, tarot card deck very, very uh, uh, meaningfully in its in both its gameplay and its motifs, and interpreting the tarot card decks as a journey of the soul 
from you know the, the full zero card of infinite possibilities to card 13 death but death being um a, a, a you know a motif of change and not an ending until finding its place in the world with card number 21 like it, persona 3 handles these motifs and topics in a in a thoughtful way and also a slightly spooky way that makes this game feel but like like it, it's not it, it, it's not completely chuny and ed- and edgy, but you can feel the edge a little bit, and it's and, mm-hmm. it, and it's it's a fun edge, like when and uh, and to the point where a character shooting themselves in the head with a fake gun to summon demons eventually feels normal and not and not disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think this game got a lot of attention when it first came out because it's got this imagery of suicide and it's got this um uh this sort of i mean I, I hesitate to say punk rock sensibility but like i remember articles in gaming magazines that were going on about this weird japanese rpg that has like two ch- uh teacher student dating and people shooting themselves in the head and all this stuff like that and then you get into it and it's like no this game actually addresses these themes in ways that are really compelling and interesting and honestly i think in a more mature way than it get than people gave it credit for at the time Calling it punk rock is way too much credit, but uh, but 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 having like so but God being, Persona Five has tried. <laughs> yeah, no get no kidding. But 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 being a unique tone that handles these kinds of topics interestingly and thoughtfully, while having really really fun, compelling gameplay, following your character schedule around and uh, and fusing uh, gods and monsters from folklore into stronger monsters from gods and folklore, like has is is still cool and 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 those uh. Like, like like persona ideas have infiltrated into Shin Megami Tensei main series in a lot of ways, and a lot of games have been inspired by Persona Three. I think there's way more digital novel and uh, excuse me, visual novel and dating sim elements in RPGs today. And Persona Three was one of the um, original perpetrators of a lot of those ideas. But Peter, we have breaking news. You you will not believe what I have just discovered. Hmm. Um, it's related to Persona Three. Actually, I already knew. Uh, it, this is our third Yuri Lowenthal watch. Uh, oh, right. uh, sequence. <laughs> yeah, he vo- he voice he voices the protagonist, and uh, and spoiler alert: this is not our last Yuri Lowenthal watch of the episode. This is the mid two thousands when Yuri Lowenthal and uh, oh god, god, what was his name? I'm blanking. Uh, this, what is, a- this is a, this is a little bit before the era of Nolan North, um, but uh, uh, Johnny Young Bosch. It was yeah. Johnny, oh, oh, Johnny Young. Yeah, those Johnny were the protagonists. Young, oh, John, Johnny yeah, Young Bosch that- and Yuri Lowenthal were in everything. <laughs> I mean, they're they're the two male leads in Tales of the Abyss for for one. If you want, if we want to add uh, Johnny Young Bosch, former uh, Black Power Ranger, um, uh, to the to the mix, I'll forever but, know him as Ichigo. No, no, he he is the black. He is the second Black Power Ranger, and I will have I will take no other input on the discussion. He was sad at being a frog. That was the most important thing about him. That is also that is also true. Um, and I still cannot. And uh, and the guy who voices uh, uh, the robot ninja in Japanese is also the voice of uh, of Dis the Reaper in Japanese in Tales of the Abyss, Kazuki Yao. But anyway, let uh, let's stop getting weird about about uh, voice actors until it is time for the fourth episode of of Yuri Lowenthal Watch. Um, Persona Three finishes sixth on our list of RPG fans retro encounters. Play, top 10 PlayStation 2 RPGs. I am repeating that phrase so much, it is definitely annoying uh, by now. 
But now it's time to address the game that finished fifth in our list. We've already had Audra's favorite PlayStation 2 RPG, Suikoden 5, show up, and Peter's favorite uh, PS2 RPG, Kingdom Hearts 2, show up. It is time to introduce Wes's number one game on their list. Uh, Wes, please initiate the discussion for Shadow Hearts Covenant. You know, I'm I'm always happy when I get to talk Shadow Hearts, and Shadow Hearts Covenant isn't just my favorite PS2 RPG. It might be my favorite game of all time, um, despite any problematic elements it may have, because it's such a fascinating game. It's a direct sequel to the original Shadow Hearts, um, but somehow manages to stand alone because ultimately this game is about grief. It takes place following the bad ending of the original Shadow Hearts, and um, almost everyone in the game is somehow dealing with grief over the horrible events that happened before. Um, and even without knowing those directly from, from the original game, uh, you catch everything by by context and by people talking about it, and you feel in their emotions um, the loss that they felt and how they're dealing with it. Now, on top of all that, um, it's just a cool concept for an RPG where um, your main character, Yuri, um, not Lowenthal, just Yuri, um, yep, correct. This is not this is not ta- <laughs> this is not this is not Tales of Vespi Yuri or Lowenthal Yuri. This is or Gagarin Yuri. This is a whole new Yuri. <laughs> this is uh, uh, the half Russian, half Japanese um, demon transformer uh, who can who can uh, bring on the powers of demons and transform into in this game a whole bunch of different demons with various different powers. Um, the whole combat system is. Uh, um, based around the judgment ring, which is this little circle with hit areas um, for your character's attacks. You, you hit this this spinning bar, and if you hit it in the right spot, you deal damage. If you hit it in a smaller spot, you deal damage and deal additional damage. Um, it this is something that carried over from the original Shadow Hearts, but I think Shadow Hearts Covenant does it, too. Does it Shadow Hearts Covenant does it better? One because the colors are a lot easier to distinct for poor colorblind people like me. Um, and two, because they don't overuse it. And the first Shadow Hearts, they use it for everything. You have to go open a sewer grate and you're doing a judgment ring. Well, um, okay, look, hold on a second. <laughs> because in Shadow Hearts Covenant, you still have to try to get critical hits at merchants for getting discounts on goods with the judgment ring. And I say this still, that it is toned down from Shadow Hearts 1. <laughs> All right, I'll take Even with that involved. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it, it wants you to, to deal with that ring all the time. Um it keeps you a little bit engaged in the game, but there's also this interesting combo system where based on positioning of your characters, you can have all your characters kind of act in a combo and just really wail on a single enemy. It's it's one of the best tactics for boss fights. Um, but ultimately, it's it's the story that, that gets me. I think this is the first game I played that actively made me cry um, as, as a younger person um, in, in the moments leading up to the final dungeon. Um, grief as a subject deeply appeals to me and has only appealed to me more um, as the years have gone on. And it's, it's rare that games actually deal with it. Uh, also, you have a pro wrestler vampire who picks up like frozen fish and lockers off the ground and oh, uses them as weapons. Oh, you don't have to tell me about Joaquin. Like <laughs> if you, if you know, if you know me and you know, shadow hearts covenant, then you know exactly who my favorite character in the game is. Um, like, like the way, like there's a scene, his weapons are found objects. Uh, and there's a scene where there's a mailbox on the ground and, and uh, Joaquin goes that mailbox. It's interesting to me. And then Yuri goes, Joaquin, don't pick up that damn mailbox. That's someone's mailbox. Someone's mail is in there. They need that mailbox. But Joaquin's like, no, 
I must. And then he picks it up and it's his newest weapon. And, and he uh, waxes poetic uh, about it too, about how much this mailbox is seeing. <laughs> yes. Like, like they, they get real weird and serious with almost all of Joaquin's weapons, which range from mailboxes to lockers to fish to skyscrapers to submarines. And I never got tired of it for a moment. But uh, the, the, the big key point you made there, Wes, was that this game is about navigating grief. And uh, and and the whole time Yuri uh, is navigating uh, the loss that he experienced at the end of Shadow Hearts One, and uh, I'm going to give some minor spoilers for around the middle of the game uh, when you're still in, in when you're in, moving through Eastern Europe because again this this game takes place in I, I think the 1910s right maybe early 20s. Yeah, it's uh it's World War One era. Okay, so yeah, so I, th- I think like maybe just after World War One, so like like middle yeah. of the 1910s, um and uh. And, and, and so there, there are seeds of revolution brewing in Russia, and, uh, and um, uh, Gregor, Gregor Rasputin, Rasputin is an influential figure within the Russian court, and in uh, Shadowheart's Covenant, Rasputin is involved in demon summoning and worse. So like when he's introduced and there's a bunch of drama around him, I'm thinking to myself, oh, Rasputin is going to be a megalomaniacal uh uh, like sorcerer in this game, not unlike the you know the Don Bluth film at, at Anastasia, and uh, and Anastasia joins your party in Shadow Hearts Covenant, which is a, amazing, which is a, which is excellent, uh, and he's going to be the final boss, as he's going to be like some crazy big sorcerer that turns into a big demon at the end, and that's how Shadow Hearts Covenant is going to go. Uh, I will not go to spoilers beyond that, but let's just say I was wrong, and stuff go- goes in very unexpected directions. And the main character, not main character, the main villain of the game is navigating grief and and suffering greatly and turning to towards a towards incredible darkness in his suffering, kind of like how Yuri is. And I and I know it's more complicated than that, but we but we won't go there because that's definitely spoiler territory. But uh, but uh, Shadow Hearts Covenant is is perfectly playable. If it's the only Shadow Hearts game you finish, like like is the case for me, I've played only the very beginning of Shadow Hearts One and Shadow Hearts Three, but it, but it it ha- it has these high concepts that are that that are that feel unique for a JRPG while having really solid action gameplay with characters that feel very diverse and different. And um, like I, again, we haven't even mentioned uh, finding pornography magazines to hand to dressmakers <laughs> so they will give uh, dresses to the uh to the to the character that uses dolls as his weapons was considering um, whether or not to mention that one <laughs> yeah i mean and 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 all the silliness around joaquin this is a game with with bizarre design sensibilities and senses of humor that is a total like that that's a little weird again you got to go in with some like you know appreciating some some like i i don't know some some candy colored gothness maybe mm. but uh but like if it, but it's it's it, it's successful throughout. I um uh, this game was uh, Wes's number one game, which I indicated, and it finished around the middle of my list. I think this is a standout PS2 RPG. And and I think that's what's so fascinating about this is that you know the series progressed. the The very first game, Kodelka, was a survival horror RPG, and they kind of leaned a little farther away from survival horror while still trying to keep it alive. So this is the game where they land, I think, with the perfect balance of like cosmic horror, Lovecraftian horrors that you're dealing with, along with like some of the best humor in a Japanese RPG I've ever seen, like actual laugh out loud moments, which I don't get very often. But anyway, uh, that was a lot of waxing poetic, as you said earlier about Shadow Hearts Covenant. Uh, this is an excellent PS2 RPG 
we did two episodes on Shadow Hearts Covenant a few years ago and two more episodes on the first Shadow Hearts uh, a couple of year, a year or two after that. And Peter, uh, Shadow Hearts 1 was on your list, and I believe you were on those episodes. Yes, I was. Um, I, and I have Shadow Hearts Covenant. I just haven't played it. Um, it is on my to-do list uh, soon. I probably got to replay Shadow Hearts 1 at some point, too. I should just play the other two because I, I do own all three games. Um, yeah, they, me too. They're, they're, they're a little expensive, but not as brutally difficult to find as Xenosaga 3 or, or Kudelka. Their, uh, their, their PS1 predecessor is a lot harder to find than the Shadow Hearts games. But unfortunately, I don't think they're available on any legal modern system, uh, which is... I'm, I'm, not even, I'm, not, I'm not even sure who holds the rights. I don't. I think Aru's still holds the rights, but Aru's is no longer in the video game business. I don't think they went out of That's business. That's weird. Just, just, they, just they, like that. Like, they make sell, um, them, to, sell yeah. them to Square or Sega or something, just just so we can get a PC version of, of Shadow. Yeah, Hearts. I would agree. And, I, and then and then like Xseed did the localization for three, so I don't know how that works. And it's like, yeah, so yeah, that was one of their early gets. Yeah, they they only Xseed only started localizing in the middle two thousands. Um, mm-hmm. I I think one of their first ones was a Wild Arms game, but they made yeah. some mis- they made some mistakes and didn't fix a few game breaking bugs, so they got some flack for that. Uh, Audra is the Wild Arms expert here. She put two Wild Arms games on her top ten list, but uh, including Wild Arms three, which we did two episodes of the podcast on a, a few years ago. Oh yes, I love Wild Arms. Yeah, uh, but no more wild arm discussion. Uh, what, where, uh, 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 Audra? Did you pl- have you played any of the Shadow Hearts games? No, unfortunately, not yet. They sound awesome, though. I, I think you'd really like them. Like, tr- track down literally any of them and play them is my is my recommendation. But uh, that is enough Shadow Hearts Covenant discussion. It finished fifth on Retro Encounters top ten PlayStation Two RPGs list. So let's go on to the game that finished fourth. And wait, wait, second international emergency. Stop the podcast. It's another Yuri Lowenthal watch. He played Yuri Lowenthal did play a minor character named uh, Rex, I think, in uh, Final Fantasy XII. I'm sorry, I, I know you were ex- you were hoping that I was about to say Steambot Chronicles, but uh, we, we haven't quite gotten there yet. Unfortunately, um, without, unfortunately, without Marcos to rep Steambot Chronicles, um, it has just sort of vanished. That that is the gospel truth. Marcos is 100 percent of of uh, my source of um, <laughs> of Steambot Chronicles knowledge. Sadly, Steambot Chronicles did not make any of our top ten lists, but Final Fantasy XII made three of our top ten lists, finishing around the middle for uh, for three different panelists. So, uh, Audra, I, Audra, yeah, Audra, you had it finished number three overall. That's and that's some high praise. So let's uh, uh, kick off. What what are your feelings on Final Fantasy twelve? I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics, which is probably no surprise since Matsuno also had a role with it. And I just, I, Ashi's character development is great throughout it. Like I love that she goes from this princess who just wants revenge to finding herself and peter you also had final fantasy 12 pretty high on your list uh, what was your experience with it yeah so i mean i i just i have a lot of fondness for final fantasy 12 um i think i i love the more mature tone of yasumi matsuno's games i think that that style of storytelling really lends itself well to the kind of epic fantasy of final fantasy and the setting of Ivalice in particular is just such rich ground for storytelling that 
making a numbered entry set in Ivalice, even if it is an Ivalice far removed from the time of tactics, um, is a very, very interesting choice. Um, in, in general, I think that 12 is, of the modern Final Fantasies, if, if I were to divide Final Fantasy into two eras, it would be like the Squaresoft era being 1 through 10, and then the modern era being um, 11 through 15. Um, I think 12 is honestly probably the best of the modern Final Fantasies. By that measurement, the modern era has been uh, longer than the classic era. I mean, it, I mean, it really has. I also played like a single here. player FF11, which I liked. Yeah, the, the combat in FF12 is a little MMO-esque. It's, a, yeah. it, it's giant open eras, the way that you can move around the field and target enemies with these sort of looping arcs. Uh, is a little like FF11, uh, a little bit like a, a, a bunch of other MMOs, but uh, I think that the maybe the uh, the standout part of the FF12 battle system is gambits. Uh, yes. ba- basically, yes. basically programmable modules that let you customize behavior of the of your ally characters that you're not controlling, and uh, there, there's been you know there's been action RPG AI in dozens of games before FF12, including in most of the Tales of RPGs, but nothing quite to the level of, uh, of, of thoroughness and experimentation that you could do with FF12, that, pe- that people still hold it in very high regard. They do, and, you- and I, I, people hold the Gambit system in very high regard, but also I remember when 12 came out and people were like, making fun of it or upset about it. Like, remember the old Penny Arcade episode where they're like, the game is just like, you know, jacking it in front of me because it's like playing itself and it's like i don't agree with that sentiment i think i think when you look at this game's mechanics it lets you fine-tune your party members ai to the nth degree and that's fantastic more games should do that yes i agree i thought it was very it helped strategize things and you don't have any less control for it is the thing Mm -mm. it's it's not like the game is taking away your agency, you can you can pause you can and play. Cut in any time you want. Exactly. Yeah. Like 12, 12 honestly has a very thoughtful combat system. Um uh, of course, and if 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 we are talk going to talk about specifics, the Zodiac job system that came out later really does iron out the kinks with that combat system. Cause in the original Final Fantasy 12, you had no reason not to make your entire party into a group of paladins. Because they would have that would that, that they were just basically melee users that could heal themselves because that would do the most damage. Um, the Zodiac job system they added basically locks each character onto a unique um, license board of their own 12's um, level up system and gives them a sort of niche specialization that encourages you to use your entire party. I've only played the original so far, so I need to try the new one. Yeah, the HD the HD version that they released, the Zodiac Age, is phenomenal. Like it it really is like it takes a game that was already excellent on the PS2 and just elevates it from this game is a really good Final Fantasy to this game is a bona fide masterpiece. Neat. Yeah, the uh, Zodiac job system version was the international version of FF12. So uh, uh, people in Europe would have played that version from the beginning. And the international versions of FF games have been going on since the PlayStation 1 era. The international version is what uh, is what um, North American and European players uh, did for FF7. But uh, and, and the famously 
the FF10 international version had additions like Nemesis and the Dark Aeons. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so so Zodiac Job System came out only a couple years uh, after original FF12, but uh, then uh, but but was never available in North America until these more recent remasters from a couple years ago. We did two episodes on Final Fantasy twelve in uh, again a few years ago. Uh, Caitlin, who's a from the RPG fan, who's a huge FF twelve fan, hosted those, and I believe um, everyone on that episode was playing the HD remaster International Zodiac version. So if I, I I've only played FF twelve once, I thought it was good, but it didn't crack my top ten. I'm I'm the odd person out that didn't <laughs> that that held FF twelve back from being higher on the list. But if I were to replay it, and, and I have a non-zero amount of interest, it, it would be with the HD remaster, which is, again, uh, so availability for FF12 nowadays is very, very high. It's not a hard game to get into your machine. And I'll, and I'll say for, for my money, FF12 is by far my favorite PS2 Final Fantasy. It's up there in like my top three, maybe five for Final Fantasy as a whole. Um, a lot of it's, you know, very good sound design and combat, but... The, the Gambit system hit while I was in college for computer science. And let me tell you, if you're trying to learn programming fundamentals, Final Fantasy XII is like a better teacher than half of your professors. <laughs> Final Fantasy XII, it's like programming. Put that on the back of the box. <laughs> everyone will buy it. All the kids will want that for Christmas. Okay, now if we're talking about our computer science classes, I think we need to move on a little bit. Uh, but let's move on to gym class. When what's a sport that you play in gym? Underwater dodgeball, of course. It's time to move on to number three on Retro Encounters top ten PlayStation Two RPGs with Final Fantasy X. We have a Final Fantasy double billing fourth and third on our list. Uh, Final Fantasy X made it this far by uh, finishing near the end of my list. I had it maybe appropriately tenth, and then two people had Final Fantasy as their number two favorite PlayStation Two game. And we know that those people aren't West because. They just mentioned that they prefer uh, FF12 to 10. So, Peter, tell us all about your second favorite PlayStation 2 RPG. Yeah, I mean, I don't really need to go into too much detail. Anyone who's listened to the podcast um, for any period of time knows Final Fantasy X is my favorite Final Fantasy, and it is one of the first RPGs I ever seriously played um, when I was a kid. Um, So I have a lot of fond memories of this game and a lot of emotional connection to this game. Um, Pretty much from the moment it starts, um, when you have uh, Titus and company like looking over the the ruins of Xanarkand and that piano music kicks in, and it's just like, yeah, th- this game has hooked me. Um, the world of Spira is fascinating. The themes of Final Fantasy X focusing on like a world that is just consumed by the looming threat of death and trying to find like a way forward in their lives despite that. Um, a story that is that focuses on the dangers of organized religion and the influence it has on society. Um, it's just ten, 10 is just a really interesting game. And it's probably got, in my opinion, the best turn-based combat in any RPG ever. Um, the way that 10, it, it this deceptively simple, just being able to see your turn order and having abilities that manipulates that turn order really let you strategize and plan ahead. Um, and I just, I love it. I love Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 10 will forever be like, for me, with a high watermark of turn-based combat. Pun completely intended, incidentally. 
So, uh, Audra, FF10 was also your second favorite game on your individual list. Uh, what was your experience with it like? I just, I adored the story and the world of Spira in general. Was It was utterly fascinating. I related a lot more than probably some people did to Titus's backstory with his father and mother, just for, for personal reasons. And so that kind of stayed with me, especially the ending with him learning more about his dad. And I just, I love the comments on organized religion and just the even fact that they kind of go into racism a little bit more than I've seen a lot of JRPGs do. It was just, it was utterly fascinating. Now I know you haven't played a Tales game because you have not experienced half-elf racism. <laughs> uh which is no. a, a, an oddly recurring theme there. But uh, I, I, I don't think it's that new for uh, JRPGs to criticize organized religion or, uh, or racism. I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, just thinking back to Breath of Fire, the Breath of Fire 2s and the Tales of Fantasias of the world. But, uh, but Final Fantasy X does that uh, in, in, a, in a pretty, um, maybe not nuanced, but, in, but in, in a pretty thorough way that has you sort of feeling for the the struggles of the of the people oppressed by those and, and it, it's it, it i mean with avoiding some spoilers ff10 to me is a game about um is about breaking it free of destructive cycles uh that are whether it's um titus's relationship with his father or uh or the or the the um the world's relationship with the monster sin and uh and basically just trying to break a cycle of tragedy and sort of like learning about the world and then and then fix and then not, not maybe not fixing but sort of overcoming this crisis that is that is holding the world hostage FF, i think ff10 is excellent i uh i when it right first came out i was a little biased against it because i really really love the uh um the, the super nintendo final fantasy games i think i think i was probably um playing uh ff5 for the first time around when 10 came out and uh and and I also sort of had similar criticisms about uh, about seven eight and nine, but uh, so I I resisted really liking FF10 until I played it for the podcast. Ironically, in 2015, and without those podcasts, FF10 would not be on my list at all. But now I now I respect it for being a really really beautiful RPG that adapts Final Fantasy ideas in in uh, in exciting modern ways. Has a really good turn based combat system that Peter alluded to. And uh, and I think mostly succeeds on its themes and concepts. I think FF10 is good, but it's not in my absolute favorite uh, PS2 RPGs. Um, and uh, it ended up finishing third in our list. FF10 is great, undeniably great, and it has been an episode of Retro Encounter, just like I think. Oh, geez, about seven or eight of these others. Um, well, let me let me let me count. So, okay, Suikoden, Tales of the Abyss, Persona 3, Shadow Hearts, 10, 12. And the game next in our list, yeah, seven of the top ten have been episodes of Retro Encounter. Um, so let's go on to that game that finished second, and I'm going to kick off the discussion of this one because this is my favorite PlayStation 2 RPG, and I was I'm overjoyed that it finished second. Um, but uh, we'll talk about the you know the the, the uh, how exactly these rankings shook up a little bit later. Uh, Number two on RPG fans retro encounters list of top 10 greatest PlayStation two RPGs is persona four. Uh, I got into persona in the early 2010s 
uh, after avoiding it for a few years. I loved Persona 3 when I first played it and switched to Persona 4 a short time after and loved that one even more. And it's it's a similar concept to Persona 3. I mean, almost an identical concept in that there is a there are supernatural happenings around town. You live in a Jap in a Japanese uh, in a Japanese city, and you're a teenager who goes to school during the day and makes friends, goes to class, goes to clubs, does does student activities, and then at night you uh, you engage with this supernatural threat. And in Persona 4, it's jumping into televisions because at least two murders take place. Um, by people being trapped in televisions and then killed by the shadow demons inside. So, to, so Persona 4's loop is in, instead of going out on full moons to slay demons like in Persona 3, whenever there is someone that disappears and becomes trapped in the TV, you you and your friends have to jump into the TV to rescue them before they're uh, consumed by shadows taking their the form of their literal psychological shadows or, you know, simplify it a little bit like saving people from their literal manifestations of their inner demons and persona 4 had some criticism from the fan base maybe not maybe not the general populace but a lot of you know hardcore smt fans disdain persona 4 a little bit because it has a happier brighter tone than persona 3 and most other shin megami tensei games it's it, it has a happy pop song for its opening theme especially the golden version it's got primary colors. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it's, it, it has it has like it has like goofy psychedelia and uh, and idol pop music and um and and, 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 and more comedy. <laughs> yeah, and oh, yeah, plenty of ursine puns. That's for that's for damn sure. Like one of your main characters is a cartoon bear that, when his zippered suit pops open, uh, turns into a in, in, into a, a a blonde boy who looks great in a maid outfit for uh, for whatever reason turns into yeah, like, a serial sex offender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teddy has you know has a lot to answer for if he if uh you know if enough people testify. But the uh, but uh, but Persona Four does have a lighter even even though it's a game about you know bringing a serial killer to justice uh, has a lot of um has has brighter colors and lighter tones than a lot of other self-serious RPGs, but I sort of think it enhances it. Like, like nothing quite feels like living in this tiny town that's, that's you know, that, that, that's sunny and beautiful during the daytime and threatened by monsters in televisions at night. And, it, and the way it has individual character arcs centered around literally defeating your own shadows, your own inner demons develops the main cast in really fascinating ways so like, like every major arc of the story or, or at least most of them say like uh, i don't know six out of the eight or thereabouts are about one of the major characters um like confronting their inner realities and becoming stronger as a result and uh, and the individual small stories that you get in the social link segments where which are also in persona three but basically getting to know a teammate or one of the people around town in the form of a side quest that also makes your the 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 persona that or demons that you summon stronger is are are, are really beautifully written. I, I love the story of Persona Four. It is an eighty to one hundred hour game that I have beaten four times, which I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily I don't necessarily recommend that, but I definitely recommend uh, finding the Vita or Steam version of Persona Four and giving it a try because it is one of my two or three favorite uh rpgs of all time 
and definitely my favorite PlayStation 2 RPG. Mike, so I recommend lo- beating it four times if it's any consolation. <laughs> I'll take that on for you. I or- beat it twice on the PlayStation 2 and twice on the Vita, and I'm worried if I ever download the Steam version, that's another 160 to 200 hours of my life gone. Oh, that man, after my spent, own heart. <laughs> that could have been spent playing Monster Hunter. <laughs> if I ever get that, if I ever get that Steam Deck, I'm going to download the ver- that version of P4, and then it's all over. Oh god, that'll, that'll be like playing it on the Vita again. Exactly. Uh, P4 Persona Four is great. It didn't make my list just because I connect more to three, but I, it is it has a, it is a really good game with a really love lovely cast of characters, and um, I also I just find it to be cozy and intimate in a way the other Personas aren't. I think there's just something about the town of Inaba and you know living with uh with Nanako and um. What what's the police guy's name? Help me out. Dojima. Dojima. And and, and Dojima and um and you know hanging out with your Scooby Doo gang of of friends um solving um, solving mysteries and jumping into televisions. It's kind of got this like sort of Twin Peaksy vibe to it that I appreciate. Um and it just yeah it just feels it feels homey. I like that. My theory is uh, that the season four of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure manga was inspired by Twin Peaks and Persona 4 was inspired by JoJo Part 4. <laughs> is, my, is, my, is my official theory on the matter, but um, I, will, I will not be taking questions off the air. I can, um, I can, I can, I can see the chronology. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the uh, Persona 4, I think it really holds up. Um, uh, Audra, you, you at least recognize Dojima's name. Have you played Persona 4? I played it on the Vita, the golden version. So yeah, yes. no, that, that's Persona Four. The golden version adds um, uh, some new calendar moments, and basically all the January, February, and Marie stuff takes place is only in golden. But uh, mm-hmm. ju- but everything else, oh, and, and one other social link. But everything else is uh, is the Persona Four PS2 experience. It is awesome. Yeah, because uh, Persona Four was actually you know my number three on there, um, which which puts it pretty high because I was keeping to a completely unnecessary one game per series, and I counted the entirety of Shin Megami Tensei as one uh, to prevent my list from being overrun by this and Digital Devil Saga and Persona Three and all that. Um, oh, I, I completely <laughs> didn't do that. Oh, a full forty percent of my list is Atlas, and if you count if you count Atlas publishing the PS2 version of Disgaea, it moves it moves to a full fifty percent. So yeah, I, I did I did not follow a rule. Well, like yeah, it was very tempting. Uh, but the the thing that really always stuck with me about this, and it's something of a cliche, but it was a breakthrough for me. This is the first game I ever felt like I really knew the characters and like I felt close to them as a person, not like as a character in the game, but as a human being, this felt like a group of friends. And I felt sad when I had to like end the game and see them go and like riding away from them in the game affected me as a human outside the game, which is weird. Um, very few games have done that after. None of them had done it for me since. And that that cast the way that they all you know interact and grow together um i still don't think i've seen anything meet that level yet there's something about persona games and having just complete weep fests for end credits i i, I like i'm counting spinoffs i think i've beaten like seven or eight persona games and all of them except for the dancing ones just have me and, and, and the fighting game ones just having me like shedding real tears at the at the credits persona 3 persona 4 persona 5 persona q1 persona 2 innocent sin holy moly like, like 
complete tear jerkers for end credit sequences. And uh, Persona 4 starts with a new transfer student visiting Inaba, and he's only going to stay there for a year. And everyone knows he's only going to be there for a year, and then he has to go back home to the big city. And the, the, the game ends with him riding away on a train with his friends that he made through that whole, uh, that whole year in Inaba, like running after her saying like, send us letters. This is like, we'll, we'll see you again. Right. And it's just, it's, oh man, it just kills me crying. But, uh, you know, it didn't kill me to see Persona 4 finish only second and not first on uh, RPG fans, retro encounters, top 10 list of PlayStation two RPGs uh, because the, the game that finished number one um, is a game that I love. And it's a game that Wes and Peter also love because it, uh, it appeared on your list, but remarkably, um, even though we give bonus points for a game finishing number one in our scoring system, this game finished number one overall in this little thought exercise, despite not receiving a single first place vote. It was second on my list, second on Wes's list, and eighth on Peter's list, uh, which was enough for it to finish number one overall. So who would like to introduce our official number one game on our top 10 PS2 RPGs list? Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King. I gotta, I gotta jump in, because Dragon Quest VIII is a masterpiece, and uh, still one of the highest bars that the, the series has hit. Um, for a series no with a lot detected. of high bars. Uh, Dragon Quest VIII like, revitalized the series. It gave it uh, even a portion of the recognition in America that it's been enjoying in Japan for its entire life. Um, due to taking that core, telling... Um, dense complex stories very simply um which is super appealing there there's plenty to like dig into plenty of unique events and, and character moments to deal with but it's all feels like a, a standard adventure still but all of a sudden we're dealing with like triple a level graphics really interesting designs that are rendered in full 3d it feels like a modern rpg while still playing like the dragon quest you know and love and having all of those little touches like alchemy pot systems and um uh hunting down uh the the monsters for the monster arena which uh is sometimes necessary to take down certain bosses there are all these I think little... you, I, th- I think you mean <laughs> Mori's monstrous pit <laughs> I got so uh it is an amazing amazing game um one of the best in the Dragon Quest series and it could not be more deserving of number 1 uh that's my two cents um, Dragon Quest VIII is also how I learned that ragazzo is an Italian word that is a, a casual uh, way to say young man, which is, you know, an, a nice little tidbit. But Dr- Dragon Quest VIII was, took, this, took the series that I thought of as Final Fantasy's backward cousin for several years and, and into a fully realized modern game that tells an incredibly beautiful story with beautiful visuals and okay, no comment on the music because uh, whatever. Rest in peace, Sugiyama. If Final Fantasy games are convoluted sci-fi fantasy epics that have you traveling to the moon and through uh, and into the underworld and uh, and and facing like like cosmic gods in in psych in in, in psychedelic psychedelic vortexes, Dragon Quest games are like fairy tales. Like you usually start out as a hero meeting a king or rescuing a princess or uh, or, or or finding a, a lost legendary item. Um, there, it, it's easier to explain a Dragon Quest story in two or three sentences than just about any other RPG on our list here. And um, but but Dragon Quest Eight has this story that has 
that that uh, has just characters with so much life and personality in them and is rendered so beautifully with these level five cell shading graphics that it, it was really transformative. Like, I, I don't think the the visual journey from Final Fantasy IX to Final Fantasy X is is enormous. It, it's big, but it, but it's it's not big at all compared to going from F, uh, Dragon Quest VII to Dragon Quest VIII. It Absolutely is, wild. It, it, it is completely shocking, and that and it also had the uh, the open area spaces that you that you travel through feel way ahead of their time. Like like I I mean going through segmented zones looking for treasure chests. Um, uh, in Tales of Arise a month ago, it doesn't feel that far removed from the from the the sort of segmented zones in FF12 and Dragon Quest VIII. This is similar to Persona 3 in that it was a transformative game for a a long-running series coming to an international audience for the first time. Dragon Quest VIII was the first Dragon Quest game released in Europe. And uh, and it, it is... It was one of the games that really sold me on loving the PlayStation 2 as a great system for RPGs. I didn't get a PlayStation 2 until a little bit late. It was 04 or 05, and Dragon Quest VIII was probably one of the first six or seven PlayStation 2 games I owned. Um, but it it, uh, it really holds up. I think that uh, the 3DS version um, is, you know, maybe a, a little choppier visually, and uh, the, the uh, orchestrated music doesn't have as much of an impact, but it makes a lot of smart gameplay changes that makes it that make it definitely the best way to play Dragon Quest VIII nowadays. But uh, this game is so special to me. It is definitely one of my three favorite Dragon Quest games, if I were to rank them, and I, and I subconsciously rank everything, I guess. Uh, but uh, I've already talked too long. Dragon Quest VIII is a masterpiece, and Audra, you should play it. So it, it it appears on your list when we do this again in ten years. I know. I want to. Okay. I want to play all the Dragon Quests. There were a lot of copies made of Dragon Quest VIII, so it's not that hard to find either. On I e- do have a copy of the DS version. Uh, Ooh, lucky three you. DS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, Fine that, way to play that. That counts that's, absolutely. That's yeah. a great way to play, and that version has gotten surprisingly rare. Um. I don't think I think it came that it came out at the tail end of the 3DS's life cycle, so it kind of had a limited print. But the PS2 version is very easy to come by. It was you're right. It was very late. I think it was 2017 or 2018 when it came out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah. So I mean, um, I, I actually I had a copy and sold it like an idiot, but um, uh, so I don't have that version anymore. But then I bought it again digitally, so it's all good. 20, um, 2017 it came out so uh, so yes towards the end of the 3ds lifespan dragon quest 8 is very good it didn't make it very high on my list just because i don't have as much of a connection to it as you guys i think but dragon quest is just the comfort food jrpg series it is classical fantasy tropes with a colorful aesthetic from a beloved um, manga artist um the music on the PS2 version, well, the I mean, we, we'll we'll give Sugiyama well deserved crap. Um, the orchestral compositions in the PS2 version are legitimately very good and give the game, I think, a very unique um, audio soundscape. Um, but either ver- whatever version of eight you play, you're going to be playing one of the best RPGs um, made for the PS2. I was playing that when we had family over for one reason or another, Pro- probably a reunion or Thanksgiving or something. And my elderly aunt uh, was watching me play Dragon Quest XI. Shout out to my Aunt Maria, who I think I think is almost 90 now, but she would have been in her she would have been in her late 70s. Like she was watching me play it and asking a few, you know, simple questions, and I gave her an abridged version of the storyline. And she was entranced. She thought she was what she thought I was she thought I was watching a cartoon at first, 
and then you know basically just, like equating the story to fairy tale ideas she at the end of the night uh she said i want you to tell me when the horse turns back into a princess <laughs> like that's like like when the evening was over and we and we were ta- we were driving her back uh, back to her home or something i don't don't remember every detail but and, and i was in the middle of the game was where she was watching but uh like, like the dragon quest 8 is um Again, I am flabbergasted that uh, none of us had it number one and it still managed to finish number one overall. But that just goes to the support it has from a wide audience. Uh, it, it's I have zero qualms in awarding it number one in our in this episode and because it's it's full stop one of the best PlayStation 2 RPGs. Congratulations, Dragon Quest Eight. Congrats. Could not Bring. All right, so that was... Our list of the <laughs> top 10 RPGs for the PlayStation 2 uh, per Retro Encounter, per RPGFan.com. Lock it in. This list is now immutable until it expires in 10 years if we're still podcasting in 2032. But uh, let's run down the list one last time before we start the podcast housekeeping. First, we have four honorable mention games from Audra. It was Growlers Regenerations from Wes. It was I'm going down the list here, so, so apologies for the pauses. Xenosaga Episode One for Peter. It was Breath of Fire Five Dragon Quarter, and from myself, it was Disgaea Hour of Darkness. Then the list proper, finishing tenth overall. Dot Hack Gu Volume One Rebirth. Ninth Suikoden Five. Eighth Tales of the Abyss. Seventh Kingdom Hearts Two. Sixth Persona Three. Fifth Shadow Hearts Covenant. Fourth Final Fantasy Twelve. Third, Final Fantasy X. Second, Persona 4. And first, Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King. Thank you so much, listeners, for uh, letting us count down our top 10 favorite PlayStation 2 RPGs per Retro Encounter. And thank you, Audra, Wes, and Peter, for joining me on this lengthy episode. It was a a lot of fun just talking about 14 great PlayStation 2 games for an hour and a half. Uh, This makes me want to go back and play the ones of these that I have missed, which are... Only Kingdom Hearts 2, Suikoden 5, and Dot Hack, uh, blah, 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 Rebirth. So maybe I will get to those in 2022. I are, I have copies of Kingdom Hearts 2 and uh, oh, just Kingdom Hearts 2, actually. <laughs> we mentioned this earlier. Suikoden last, 5 is a little hard to find. The Dot Hack last recode set, that goes on sale all the time if you're ever curious. I might have to add it to a wish list or two. But uh, for now, I am content to just procrastinate kingdom hearts 2 until i i can no longer resist the urge till i show up at your front door with like a baseball bat <laughs> i i regret every day telling you where i live um, <laughs> but uh listeners uh, i hope you enjoyed this episode we have two episodes very similar to it about the playstation 1 and super nintendo list of rpgs if you look up the, the super nintendo list in our archive make sure it's the one that says for real this time and isn't the one that aired on april 1st so uh maybe i'm giving away the goat a little bit but uh (laughs) we do have two episodes similar to this one but there's also a third one that's a little different so i hope you enjoyed this episode but rpg fan has uh plenty of other fine content that you can enjoy including uh the forums on rpgfan.com and our facebook page our twitter page our discord server our twitch channel our youtube channel something going on every day on Twitch, something going, uh, and two podcasts a week going on every week. Those other two, uh, those other two podcasts that complete that lineup are Random Encounter about randomness, 
Rhythm Encounter about RPG music, and also our partner podcast, Phoenix Edge, currently on hiatus, but mostly about current events in RPGs. Please listen to all three of those podcasts as well as Retro Encounter. You can also email us directly with questions about the podcast. Uh, retro at RPGfan.com is that email address. I check it every couple of days. And if you want to uh, interact with us with feedback, you can do so on Discord or on Facebook or uh, by leaving us reviews in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever uh, podcast listening venue you use. Please leave feedback. Please leave ratings. Please read, uh, leave reviews. We want all of your feedback. But if you want to give us feedback at an individual level and not at the podcast level, how do you do so? Let's tell them, starting with you, Wes. Uh, if you want to find me, your best bet is just on Twitter, at Wes Iliff. Uh, that'll lead you to everything. Now, Audra. Audra B at RPGFan.com. I just have an email. Now, Peter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I Have Fury, or you can email me, PeterT at RPGFan.com. And with me, the best way to, fi- to contact me is also Twitter. I am at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs at other times. That last Twitter handle is a Persona 3 reference, which remarkably finished sixth on our list. Uh, you can also find me on the RPG Fan Discord as Monsoon Mike. So. All right, we talked about 14 pretty good games. Well, no, I lied. We talked about 13 pretty good games and also Kingdom Hearts 2. Thank you, good night, and good luck. Not taking the bait. Not taking the bait.